Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some men who were, des- who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus, our only Master and Lord. Now I want to remind you, though, that you know, though you know all these things, the Lord first saved people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And he is kept with eternal chains in darkness for the judgment of the great day, the angels who did not keep their own position but deserted their proper dwelling. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as angels did, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh reject authority and blaspheme glorious ones. Yet, Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. What they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Woe to them. For they have travelled in the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love fests. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless twice dead, pulled out by the roots, wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds. Wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers, Walking according to their desires, their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are unbelievers, not having the spirit. Good evening. Uh, my name's Neil, and uh, it's great to see you all here tonight. Well, I wonder what you make of that reading. It's pretty uh, full-on, isn't it? Jude doesn't hold back in uh, what he says about these people. Some men have come into the church twisting and distorting the Christian faith, living in ungodly ways, and Jude really comes out firing, warning the church about these people. He says straight out, these people are ungodly ungodly, 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 he says there in verse 15. And uh, he says that God is going to judge these people. He talks about eternal fire and darkness, blackness of darkness reserved forever. It's pretty strong stuff that uh, he comes out with here. 
And uh, I think, I wonder how you respond when you hear uh, a kind of condemnation of people like this. Not just people out there, kind of uh, a long way from God, but people who are in the church. Uh, is, this, is, uh, this is a bit confronting to us, I think. Some of us might feel a bit uncomfortable about this kind of talk. Because in our culture, we like to affirm people and to be positive. And as Christians, we really value being generous and kind and patient and accepting and uh, loving, especially of uh, fellow church members. So what do we make of this? Was Jude a grumpy old man? Did he get out of bed on the wrong side this morning when he wrote this letter? What is it that matters so much to Jude that he comes out all guns blazing like he does? And uh, what might it look like for us if, it mat- if what mattered to Jude matters as much to us? Well, these are the fighting words of Jude. And uh, as we come to look at it tonight, I've got four headings. The need, the threat, the warnings, and then some challenges for us now. So first, the need. In verse 3. Jude says this, he says, I was eager to write to you a very positive, nice, warm, uh, good, good news story about the salvation that we share. That's what he wanted to write, but he felt that he had to write a completely different letter. He said, I found it necessary, there was a need to write and exhort you. Exhort means to urge you, to challenge you, to strongly encourage you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Now that word there, contend, is a strong word. It's the kind of word that's used of athletes in the Olympic Games. Uh, If you make it to the Olympic Games, uh, I hope you do, it'd be fantastic. I'm too old for that now, I used to dream of it, but uh, that's long gone. But if you do, and you're in the home straight in the 400 metres, it's not a time to relax, is it? It's not a time to say, oh, this is nice, look around and have a bit and see what's going on. It's a time to strain every muscle and put every ounce of energy that you've got into trying to uh, compete with your fellow competitors. Uh, it's a time to contend. That's the idea of this word here. Uh, I've called it uh, in, the, in the heading here, fight. Fight for the faith. I like that because they both start with F. That's what we preachers like alliteration. So fight for the faith. Now, the faith, notice what it says here. This is really important for understanding this. It doesn't say fight for your faith. See, often when we talk about faith, we're thinking about our response to God and we're thinking about our experience of trusting God and believing God. And that's really important. But that's not what Jude is talking about. He's talking about the faith. He's talking about something outside of us and objective. He's talking about the Christian faith, the the teaching that God has given to us about himself, about his son Jesus, about what it means to live the Christian life. And this teaching was delivered to the saints, that just means the Christians, once for all. It came from God in the person of Jesus as he revealed God. And as he died on the cross and rose again and the apostles went out and uh, explained all of the meaning of all of this, 
It was delivered once for all to the saints. And so that means it doesn't change because it's once for all, for all time. It doesn't change. You can't add to it. Sometimes people want to add to Jesus. They want to say, Jesus is great, but we also need to do this thing or have this experience or whatever it might be. Or you can't take away from it. God has given the faith. And we can't say, we don't like this bit or that bit, or we don't believe that Jesus rose physically from the dead. We'll just take the rest of it. No, it comes as a package. It's been delivered once for all to the saints. And we can't twist or distort what God has given us because if it is twisted and distorted, then our knowledge of God will become twisted and distorted. We won't know him rightly and it will be hard for people to come to trust him and serve him and live the Christian life. Can you see why this matters so much to Jude? that we contend for the faith, that we fight for the faith that God has given us. You see, Jude loves God and he loves people. And so he wants people to know the truth about God so that they can be saved and transformed in their lives. This really matters because this is the knowledge of God. This is the need to preserve the truth about God so he can be glorified and people can be saved. Does that matter to you? There's a lot of things that matter in uh, our world, but this is a really important one, isn't it? The truth of God, so that God will be glorified and people can be saved. And so Jude uh, says, this is the need. Fight for the faith. That's our first heading. But uh, this is needed because there was a threat Uh, In verse 4, we read that some men have come in by stealth. They've snuck into the church under the radar, as it were. And these men were twisting and distorting the faith. Look at what they were doing. They were turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. God's grace is the wonderful truth of Christianity. For those who are maybe new to Christian things, what it means is that uh, God is generous to us even though we don't deserve it. Uh, He forgives our sins and accepts us into his family even though we treated him badly. And he can do that because he has generously sent his son into the world to pay the price for our sins, Jesus dying on the cross. And because he's done that, when we turn to Jesus, we receive complete forgiveness. We sang before, blessed assurance. We know that we're right with God and accepted by him. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. But some people get this truth wrong. You see, this truth is meant to change our life. If we've been rescued from a life of, that brings God's anger towards us because we've been uh, treating him badly, And he has forgiven us for that and given us a brand new start, wiped our slate clean, then we're meant to be living a new life, not going back into the old ways. Here's what it says uh, in, uh, in the Apostle Paul says in Titus The grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts 
and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age while we wait for Jesus. The grace of God is meant to change us. But see, these people are getting it wrong. They're saying they're turning the grace of God into promiscuity. Now, promiscuity means uh, just following your own desires without restrictions or boundaries. Often promiscuity is a word that we use in the kind of sexual area, isn't it? Because that's an area where desires are particularly strong and we're particularly tempted to just go with our desires rather than with uh, what God says is right and good for us. And so these people were, were living as though uh, you just, whatever feels good, do it. If you want to have sex with someone, go for it. Go and be greedy and selfish in what you do with your money. Go and bully someone. It doesn't matter because you're forgiven. God's grace is a license to sin. Go and do whatever you want. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. So works don't matter. Go for it and do what you want. You see the problem here? This is distorting and twisting the wonderful grace of God and it's wrong. It's wrong because notice the last part of this, uh, this verse. Uh, in doing this, going off and doing whatever they want, they're denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. See, a Christian is someone who sees that Jesus is God's king, that he has a right to rule over us, and so we receive him and commit ourselves to live under his rule. Uh, And uh, to then go on and live in a way that's different to what Jesus wants, well, that's to deny Jesus, our only master and Lord. But Jesus is both saviour and Lord. You can't have him as saviour and not as Lord. You can't have him as Lord and not as saviour. We're not free now to sin because we've committed ourselves to live for Jesus. So these men who've stuck into the church are a threat. They're saying to people and perhaps demonstrating to people by the way that they go and just live in whatever way they want, they're saying that uh, it doesn't matter. They're leading people away from the Lord Jesus who's the only one who offers us salvation and relationship with God. They deny Jesus as Lord. Now, do you think there are any people around in churches today who uh, might be uh, in danger, might be a threat to us of turning the grace of God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Well, I think there are. In every age, in every part of the world, threats are constantly arising to the faith that God has delivered to the saints once for all. In our own Anglican denomination around the world at the moment, there are, there's big debates going on because there are bishops at the highest level who, are, uh, say, who say, in many ways, all the right things. God is loving. God blesses all human relationships. And so they say God should bless sexual unions outside of his good plan for sex, namely marriage between one man and one woman, ideally for life. They want to bless homosexual unions. They want to bless heterosexual unions outside of marriage. And these are things that 
Jesus and the apostles clearly condemn? How is it that we can bless what God condemns? You see, they're turning the grace of God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. And so just recently there was a big conference in Africa where faithful Anglicans from all around the world got together and said, we can't be in fellowship with these bishops. They're denying the faith uh, entrusted and delivered to the saints once and for all. But it doesn't just happen out there on the worldwide stage. It happens in local churches too. Sometimes it's people who want to accept behaviour and choices and attitudes that are contrary to Jesus. And so they will actually say, no, we can't uh, deny someone their desires. We've been set free. We don't want to be legalistic. Just go for it. Rejoice and revel in the grace of God. Do you see how dangerous that is? Sometimes it's other threats. In a church near us, they are uh, uh, very near to us, not our church. Recently, they had uh, some people in the church who were listening on the internet to some teachers coming in from America who were saying that uh, God is uh, open and he's constantly changing. And so, yes, he said things back in the time of Jesus and the New Testament, but over time, uh, he's changed and the world has changed and God has changed as well. And so he doesn't think what he uh, caused to be written in the New Testament. That's a pretty convenient way of thinking, isn't it? So we can just say what we think is right today and then say, well, God must agree with us because he's changed. No. We need to fight for the faith. The faith delivered to the saints once for all. Sometimes, too, it's not even explicit teaching like that, but perhaps influence through example. You know, sometimes Christians, perhaps popular Christians, influential leaders in the church, might uh, go and not think it's a problem to be drunk at a party. Or they might gossip and create a culture of gossip. Or they might be insular in relationships and not welcome the outsider or the person on the edges but just hang out with their friends. And uh, other Christians might be led astray into thinking, well, this is all okay, this is what it's like to be a Christian. But it's not. We need to fight for the faith. And we need to know how serious this is. This is our uh, third heading, uh, the warnings. Uh, the warnings. In verses 5 to 16, Jude brings us those strong words that uh, we, I spoke about at the beginning. And sometimes strong words are needed, aren't they? If there's a, a warning at stake, don't swim there, there's a shark. Well, he's saying, watch out for these people. Uh, this is here to wake us up out of complacency. Now, I have to say, and people who heard this talk at youth church, You get the bonus content now because uh, I skipped over this at Youth Church. Uh, If you're wishing I was skipping over it, sorry about that. Uh, But there are a lot of details here and a lot of rabbit holes. There's weird stuff, isn't there, about angels and people disputing over the body of Moses and the book of Enoch and all kinds of stuff that we could explore in detail. And I know some of you are fascinated by these things, but it's really important here to see the big picture 
And the big picture is that Jude tells us two things we need to know. And both of them are actually introduced to us in verse 4 that I skipped over before. Uh, The first one is that he says these men who snuck in were designated for this judgment long ago. The word designated means that it it was written about long ago. In the past, in the writings, especially in the Old Testament, but other writings as well, uh, it's written that what's going to happen to these people, God's going to judge them. So here's the warning. Whatever you do, don't follow them. But also, uh, we're told there that they are ungodly. Uh, If you want to kind of hang around with these people and become like them, and live in their kind of way, it's not going to lead you into the, the de- devotion to God that he wants. It's going to lead to ungodliness. So we've got these two things we need to know. And they're filled out for us in verses 5 to 16. Now, are you ready for this? It's very simple. Okay. Uh, we've got these two columns, what was written long ago, and uh, what these uh, people are like. And Jude goes through and he alternates he, he says something about what was written, and he says these people. Something else, these people. Something else, these people. These people, these people. And uh, that's how this kind of passage uh, hangs together. And uh, I'm just going to kind of unpack it a little bit, but we're not going to go into great detail in all of them. I'm going to kind of skim a little bit over the top of the rabbit holes so we don't fall in, okay? So firstly, let's think about uh, what these people are like. Uh, In a word, they are ungodly. And as he goes through, each time he gets to the these people sections, he paints a bit more of a picture about what these people are like. Uh, He says in verse 8, three things about them. They defile the flesh. I think it's talking about their sexual immorality. They reject authority. They're not submitting to Jesus and his way. Uh, They're probably not even submitting to the authorities of the church leaders who may have called them to account. And they blaspheme glorious ones. He's talking about angels there. And this is hard for us to get our heads around because we don't think much about angels. But there's a lot about angels in this passage in Jude. And I think it means that these people are so arrogant, they even speak against angels about things they don't understand. They think we know better than anybody else. And so they'll just say something about them. You can see a little bit of it in verse 10. They blaspheme anything they don't understand. It's good to scrape, uh, to uh, skim over rabbit holes sometimes because we don't know what's uh, down there underneath them. Verse 16, another three things. They're discontented grumblers, a bit like the people of Israel in the wilderness, grumbling against God. They follow their own desires. They don't submit to Jesus. They just go with, their own heart and what they want to do. And uh, they are people who speak arrogant words at the end of verse 16 there. And verses 12 to 13, uh, we see a whole list of images which uh, uh, kind of come together and and remind us that they lead people astray. They're like, uh, see verse 12, they're like dangerous reefs under the water that you can shipwreck yourself on. They're dangerous They are waterless clouds carried along by the winds, like in a drought. A cloud comes across and you think, beauty, it's going to rain. But there's nothing there. These people don't offer anything. They're fruitless 
trees twice dead at the end of autumn. They've got no fruit on them and they're uprooted and they're just lying dead on the ground. These people are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds. When there's a big storm down at Cronulla, the waves come in and there's lots of froth and foam and after it dies down, you see all of the scum and rubbish that the sea has brought up onto the beach. That's what these people are like. They deliver scum. They're shameless deeds. And lastly, he says, they are uh, they're wandering stars. I think it's talking about planets. If you're trying to uh, navigate by the stars, they stand uh, stable. But planets move around and sometimes they even go down below the horizon and you don't see them anymore. They're not a reliable guide. They go into darkness. And he says these people are heading uh, into the blackness of darkness, which is reserved for them forever. It's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? These people are ungodly. That's what he said in verse 4. And in verse 15, just in case you missed it, we get it three times. See verse 15? Uh, It speaks of their ungodly acts, their ungodly way. They are ungodly sinners. Ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. Get it into your head, he says. Don't follow these people. They're not leading you in godliness. And the second thing is they're destined for God's judgment. Here's what was written long ago. Three Old Testament examples, Israel, angels, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. These three were all judged by God because they rebelled against his way, like the, just like these people are doing. That's what happens if you rebel against God. Then in verse 9, we've got a kind of... I'll come back to verse 9. Verse 11, three more Old Testament examples, this time of individuals. Cain, Balaam and Korah. And these were three people who, uh, uh, who followed their own desires instead of God's way. Cain followed his anger and jealousy and ended up killing his brother. Uh, Balaam was greedy and led the people of Israel into sexual immorality and idolatry. And God's judgment fell on them. And Korah was grumbling and led a rebellion against Moses and his family was swallowed up by the ground and a whole lot of other people who joined his rebellion were judged. This is uh, scary stuff. In each case, God judged them and their followers. Then we've got these two other things. One in verse 9, there's a comparison from an ancient book, uh, something called the Testament of Moses, which speaks about uh, this incident with Michael the archangel disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body. And we don't know a lot about this. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, but I think the, um, uh, the point of it is just to see how arrogant these people are, that not even Michael in this incident from the Testament of Moses uh, would, uh, he would say something direct to the devil. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. We also have, finally, the words uh, of Enoch in verse 14. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them. And this troubles uh, some Christians. Who is this Enoch? Well, there was a real man called Enoch. Uh, He's in Genesis chapter 5, and he was in the seventh generation from Adam. Uh, And... Uh, But the thing is about Enoch is that he never, as far as we know, wrote a book uh, himself. 
But someone, centuries later, did write a book in his name. It's something called the Pseudepigrapha, which is a collection of writings where people pretended to be somebody else. And so someone pretended to be Enoch and wrote this book. And this book was well known by Jewish people at the time of Jesus and the early church. And so it's not and never has been part of the Bible. Uh, It's not part of the Bible. And just because it's quoted here doesn't mean that it has the same authority as Scripture. But at least one thing that was written in this book, pretending to be Enoch, has been picked up by Jude and he says, this is right, he got this bit right in verses uh, 14 and 15. I think the way to think of this so that we don't get troubled is that sometimes we might quote famous people that, uh, and familiar sayings. Someone like uh, a famous preacher like uh, John Piper or C.S. Lewis in his writings. C.S. Lewis once said, suffering is God's megaphone for a dying world. That's not in the Bible, is it? But I think it's true. And it's a very powerful idea that helps us live the Christian life. And so uh, in a sermon, we might use that and say, here's a truth. We're not saying everything C.S. Lewis wrote should be in the Bible. But we're saying, here's something that he wrote that is good and true and right. That's what's going on here. The only difference is I'm not Jude writing the Bible. And so I quote C.S. Lewis. It doesn't end up as scripture. But Jude quoted Enoch, and it's now here preserved for all time as part of the faith delivered once for all to the saints. And what does it say? It says that God will come and execute judgment against the ungodly. So you see, whatever details are in all this, the point is very clear and simple. These men have come into the church and they are ungodly. And we know from what is written that God will judge them. So the conclusion is very simple. Whatever you do, don't follow these people. It's a very strong warning. Don't let these people have influence in your life or in the church. Watch out for yourself that you don't get led astray. But watch out for others as well. Care for each other lest they be led astray. Don't follow these men. So, finally, some challenges for us now as we see this passage from Jude. What does it say to us tonight? Well, I've got two challenges to wrap up. First, be wary. We need to be wary. Sometimes people do come into the church and twist and distort the Christian faith. Sometimes, like these people in Jude's time, they sit in the chairs with the church and share in the church meals. They're fellow members of the church. But sometimes, even though that can be true, often it's easier for us to know these people and know the fruit that's in their lives and uh, we can talk to each other and we can identify them. Maybe more dangerous these days is those who come to us from outside the church, over the internet, through the podcast or the video or the blogs or whatever it might be. Now, these can be really helpful things. Uh, for our growing in faith and in our knowledge of God, but they can also be used by people who teach wrong things. So we need to be careful. We need to be wary. Just because someone talks about God 
and claims and calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean that they're safe. Do you hear that? Just because someone talks about God and calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean that they're safe. If a wolf wants to come into the sheep pen and grab some of the sheep, he's not going to announce, hey, I'm a wolf and I'm here to grab the sheep. He's going to come in by stealth, under the radar, trying not to be seen, hiding behind other sheep or dressing up as a sheep or something like that. And so we need to keep our wits about us for these kinds of teachers. And one of the problems with people on the internet is we don't see the fruit of their life. They could be ungodly in their own personal life, but we would never know because they're on the other side of the world. Be very careful who you follow. Another place to be wary is the Christian bookshop. That's a dangerous place. Uh, some Christian bookshops are really good because they, uh, they screen out the stuff that's unhelpful and only sell stuff that uh, is consistent with the Christian faith. Uh, and, uh, but others aren't like that. Others sell anything that goes by the name Christian for all kinds of people who want to read any kind of uh, false teaching. And that's a very dangerous place to go there to that shop and just wander around browsing and just grabbing any book that looks interesting to you. Much better to shop at the Janali Anglican bookstore that James Snedden organises for us because he is super discerning. And uh, anybody that, uh, any book that's not helpful, he's not going to put on the bookshop. He's only going to put things that uh, are going to be helpful for us. Be wary. There's one more thing to be wary of. Who do you think is the most dangerous person in our church that we need to be wary of? It's me, isn't it? Look out. I'm a dangerous person. Because I stand up the front here as the senior minister of our church and teach about God. Please pray for me. Pray for me that I'll keep teaching the truth, that I won't, be, I won't get things confused or twist or distort, but I will, I will teach what is here and only what is here. And pray too for my life, that it will be a model that you will see, because it will be. You will see my life, warts and all. Pray that I'll be a good model that will lead you into godliness, not into ungodliness. And I have to appoint the other staff who serve on our team and speak from here and lead our ministries. Pray for wisdom that I'll appoint godly people who know the truth and will fight for the faith. And uh, through them, as we appoint leaders in children's ministry and youth ministry and growth groups and other ministries that we run, Be wary. Have your Bibles open as I preach. Have you got your Bible open? If you haven't, then you're being you're you're uh, you know you're being very kind of a risk high risk taking tonight. Because how do you know that what I'm saying is true? We need our Bibles open. Be wary. And lastly, we've got to take action. Uh, If we need to not just be wary, but do stuff to fight for the faith. Uh, One thing you've got to do is know the truth yourself. The better you know your Bible and your theology, summaries of what the Bible teaches. This is why creeds are so useful and we've probably been neglecting them a little bit in this age where we're doing ourselves a disservice. Creeds and statements of the faith are very helpful and the better we know what the truth is, the better equipped we'll be to spot wrong teaching and wrong living when it comes. 
Uh, and uh, that's why we need to, to keep working at knowing the truth. Uh, in our culture, uh, the other, second thing we've got to do is uh, take action when we see or hear of something that doesn't seem right to us. And this is challenging because in our culture, what we value is live and let live. Uh, we value diversity and difference of opinion. And so when someone comes and says something wrong or living in a way that's contrary to Jesus, our temptation is to celebrate that or just to do nothing because who am I to speak up and do something, say something. And of course, there's something right about that attitude. We don't want to be trigger happy and anytime anyone uh, uh, you know, thinks something slightly different to us, we're going to f- fire at them with all, all guns blazing like Jude does here. We do need to be humble and gracious and slow to speak. But there comes a time, like it obviously did for Jude, when saying nothing is just not loving. Don't think you're loving by being keeping quiet and allowing someone to be led astray from Jesus and condemned to hell. That's not loving, is it? Or to allow them to influence others so that they'll be led astray. That's not loving. Your silence might be the most unloving thing that you could do. We need to do something. Maybe talk to someone else if you're scared to talk to the person directly and say, am I hearing this right? Is this something we should be uh, challenging in some way? Maybe the challenge will be done quietly and privately or sometimes it needs to be done publicly and that's a scary thing. And if you do it, even privately, you might be hated people will say, who do you think you are to say that? Why are you being so judgmental? But the reason you're being so judgmental is because you love God and you love his word and his people. And you're going to fight for the faith because you know that people's eternal destiny is at stake. What could matter more than that? What could matter more than that? And sometimes this is something that I have to do as a senior minister and the other ministers in our church need to do. Please pray for us in this, that we will shepherd this flock well and fight for the faith. A few months back, uh, although normally our magazine, the Southern Cross, is really good and has got lots of good stuff in it, a few months back uh, an ad slipped in uh, for an event that was being held in another Anglican church in Sydney where a speaker was speaking who has caused a lot of trouble uh, around the world and they've been invited to come here and speak about how it is that uh, we should bless same-sex unions. And uh, what I did when I saw this ad, a few of them had slipped out, I think, to Thursday Church on, uh, before I realised this, but when I realised it, what I went and did is collected up all the remaining copies of that edition of Southern Cross and I took them home and put them in my recycling bin because I didn't want anyone to find one. Because as the shepherd of this flock, I certainly didn't want anyone to be invited to something that might lead them away from Jesus into denying his lordship. To hear someone who wants to turn the grace of God into promiscuity, I would be a negligent shepherd if I just let that go through. Now you might say, well, that's a bit tough, Neil. It was only one tiny ad. Well, yep, it was one tiny ad and you all missed out on the rest of those who read it. I know not all of you read the Southern Cross, but you might have missed out on some really good articles and I was sad about that. 
but I'm going to fight for the faith. I don't want to imagine if someone, even one person, was led astray by going to that event. That's not what we should do. Uh, One other thing that we have to do is that sometimes, sadly, uh, leaders in our church start teaching wrong things or make decisions uh, in their lives and uh, take up patterns of ungodly living. And so sometimes we need to do something about that. We need to gently, lovingly call on them to repent, to change their life. And if that happens, praise God. Praise God they've, uh, they've, they've been rescued from an ungodly direction. But sometimes people don't want to uh, change their life because they're following their desires. They're going out with a non-Christian. They're sleeping with their girlfriend. They're getting drunk at the parties. They're just kind of doing what they feel is right and they don't want to change. And so we have to stand them down because we can't allow them to be influencing the precious people of our church by their example or by their teaching. And that's really hard and painful. And it may have happened to some of you. I'm glad you're still here if that's the case. Others may be here because we've had to make those hard calls. And you know what? When we make those calls, some people are always unhappy with us because they'll say, oh, that's mean and nasty. You're being condemning that person. We're loving that person. We're loving the people that they influence. We're loving God who has given us his teaching. The faith delivered to the saints once and for all. We need to fight for the faith, brothers and sisters. We need to fight for the faith. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, thanks so much for this part of your word. It's very challenging to us because we don't like to say negative things. But Lord, we know that your word is precious to you and for us. And so help us, Lord, to uh, see that this matters as much as it mattered to Jude. Help us to be wary. Help us to take action when we need to so that we can preserve the truth of your good word so that we can know you so that we can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ and have our lives transformed by you. Please, Lord, help us in this difficult area. Please guard us from false teachers and people who live falsely and want to lead us into ungodliness. Help us to guard ourselves and each other from this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.